morning. That wasn't quite as exciting as Nathan's good morning, but I'll take it. Well, why don't you, uh, for starters, open up to page 901 or John chapter 14, John chapter 15, and John chapter 16. We're not going through, we're not going to read through them all, so don't freak out that it's going to be another uh, one-hour sermon like it was last week. I'll be gentle on you this week, mainly for Andy's sake, but uh, I know you were in Pella. We, re- we prayed for you. Well, we're starting, um, we're starting, like uh, Nathan said, an 18-week series on uh, the, the person of the Holy Spirit. And uh, probably about two years ago, there was just something that was sitting in my, my gut that, uh, and I think if you've been around or been to leadership communities, you say, you've heard me talk about this, about there's, there's something around the corner. There, there's a turn. There's going to be, there's something that God has in store for us that is uh, just around the corner. And I, I could not quite put my, my finger on it. And it, was, it just kind of weighed on me week after week, month after month, year after year. There's just like this, ah, we're doing ministry and we've got this, we've been going for four years now, we're in our fourth year, and it's just like, man, something is still unsettling. Something is still incomplete. Some, we're, we're, I don't know what it is, but there's times where it feels like, man, we're just doing church. You ever get that feeling? Just be honest. No matter where you where you go to church, if you're a college student, you got a home church somewhere, or Missio Day, there's a point where you just feel like, I am just doing church. And after a while, that feeling, you get kind of lulled into apathy. You get lulled into, you know, you kind of get this numb feeling about church, and after a while, it just becomes this thing that you do. Has anybody ever experienced that, or is this just me? Okay, thank you. You know, if you if we're a little bit more charismatic, we're doing a Holy Spirit message. You can say Amen. Uh, anybody else feel that? Amen. All right, good. Obviously, we're a little bit more awake, so you've got permission to do that. Um, so I, I've just been sitting in this, going, okay, I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel totally satisfied. Um, there, there's something that is just incomplete. And as I've been praying and reading and praying and just sitting in this, this dissatisfaction, I came across a sermon that uh, John Piper preached way, way, way back in the 80s. And uh, he said this. And this was, he was also for, if you don't know who John Piper is, he's a pastor uh, of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis. And uh, he was experiencing some of the same kind of funk. And he had been there for a few years, and it's just like, something just is not sitting right. And he said this in a sermon. I'm coming to see the peacetime mentality that dominates our church and our conference as a tactical victory of Satan. The result of a kind of nerve gas from Satan's arsenal of chemical weaponry that gives the soldiers of Christ a kind of stupor in some in some and religious euphoria in others 
and eventually puts them to sleep at the gates of the enemy and makes them utterly oblivious to the cries of the POWs behind the wall. Who but Satan could devise a chemical weapon which, when spread over the army of Christ, would make them content simply to hold worship services and support groups at the door of Satan's dungeon. Picture the Allied troops landing in Germany, marching victoriously toward the smoke from the ovens of Dachau, and then stopping at the gates, setting up camping, camp, and having a big Bavarian beer bust to celebrate while the Gestapo finishes murdering 5,000 Jews behind the gates. Satan is satisfied with all of our religious activity as long as it does not move us to break down those gates to rescue the perishing. Therefore, at the top of my agenda these days has been the question, how can I get myself and the church awake to a wartime mentality? Is there some way to break the spell? Picture a great army asleep with mighty weapons in their limp hands and armor in their tents. Picture them sleeping in the fields all around one of Satan's strongholds. Suddenly, an eyelid blinks. A head lifts and looks around. Then another and another. A strange awakening spreads through the field. Muscles are flexed, armor fitted, swords sharpened, eyes meet with silent excitement. A light in the commander's tent goes on and the generals gather and the strategy for the attack is laid. What has happened? The Holy Spirit has begun to move upon the armies of the Lord. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ shall give you light. Do not be drunk with Bavarian beer, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Put on the whole armor of God. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Keep alert and help each other be bold. There is only one power that can break the spell of Satan. Awaken the armies of the Lord and rout the God of this age. The power of the Holy Spirit. And I read that ago. We have been lulled to sleep. A kind of a nerve gas that just desensitizes us to the lost, to God's movement in our lives. Our ears don't hear quite as sharply. Our hearts don't beat quite as strongly. We look at lost Children, we look at lost adults, we look at neighbors, and it's just, ah. Man, I hope they come to Jesus Christ someday. And we set up camp around them and have a beer. But we don't move forward. My prayer for us is that we become fully awake. And together as a church, the body of Christ, we move forward together. We move forward and just say, Lord, we are not satisfied any longer with just doing church. 
Send your Holy Spirit. Empower your church. Change us. Move us. Lord, take us out of this apathy and do something powerful for the sake of your glory, for the sake of this world. God, we want to see revival. We want to see change. We want to see you move in our time, in our day, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our lives, our workplace. God, we want to see you move because we're tired of doing church. We can't do this anymore. It is my hope for us, Monsieur Day, that we, in these next few weeks, as we open God's Word, that we discover our place and our purpose in this world. That it's not Sunday morning, do church and go home. That we become effective. Effective in the ministry that God has laid out for us. As we rely on His Spirit in our lives. That we personally, individually and corporately, that we come to know the Holy Spirit. That we just... Man, when we are in worship, when we are driving, that we say, come Holy Spirit, come. Speak to me, teach me, guide me, direct me. Point me again to Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit. Do that. But here's the problem. Uh, We don't know, honestly, I would say most most of us have a very limited or we don't know the Holy Spirit. And even that terminology sounds very different for us. If you've grown up in Protestant churches, especially in the Reformed tradition, knowing the Holy Spirit or having a relationship with the Holy Spirit is just kind of odd lingo. It sounds more like language you'd use in a, in a charismatic church or a Pentecostal church. We worship Jesus and we, we pray to God the Father. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we kind of have this Star Wars mentality of the Holy Spirit. May the force be with you. And then the response is? Yeah, also with you. you know, it's kind of this mentality of, you know, there's this just voodoo, weird kind of force that's floating around. And it just, every once in a while, it'll touch you or just move you. And it's like, oh, oh my gosh, that's not it. So we, we don't understand who God is. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. We don't understand who is God. And John Calvin even speaks about this in his Institutes. If you don't have anything better to do uh, during the week, read Calvin's Institutes, Institutes of the Christian Religion. And what he says in his very first book, his first chapter, in the very first section is this. Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts. The knowledge of God and ourselves. True wisdom, true godly solid wisdom consists of two parts. Our understanding of God and our understanding of self. 
And he goes on to say in this first section, it's very difficult to see where one starts and where the other begins. You know, is it always the knowledge of God first, the knowledge of self first? Where, how does it all intertwine and work out? We're, we're not sure. It seems it's a mystery how God works all those things out. But true godly wisdom, true understanding of our place in this world requires us to understand who is God and who am I. He's, he, he says this. Let me throw it up on the screen for you. It is evident that man never attains to true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look at himself. We can never truly understand ourself, our place, our mission, our anything, until what? We contemplated who God is in his completeness. Not just God as Father, not God just as Son, and not God just as Holy Spirit, but understanding God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. For us to understand that is critical for us in our movement, in our life, to be whole. And this is radically new terminology. And it is my desire, it is my hope that we come to know God completely as humanly possible, considering the fall, considering that often we live in the flesh and we sin. Come to know God. God as Holy Spirit. Because we, even when we look at our worship, it's easy to come upon a worship song about God as Father. There are a gajillion songs about God as Son. But I'll tell you, doing a search on Google, which normally pulls up everything, the number of songs about the Holy Spirit, tiny, fractional. There may be just a verse or a blurb in there. But for us to worship the Holy Spirit as we worship the Son and as we worship the Father, it's difficult because even American, the American landscape does not know much about it. So that's why we're in this series. I want to encourage you. Pop open to uh, John chapter uh, 14. Because there's two, before we go much further, before we get into week 2 through 18, it is critical that we have two foundations laid. Because they're essential. If we miss this, so this might, for some of you, it might be kind of elementary or primary, but it is critical that we get this. These two things. First, the Holy Spirit is a person, not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person, not an impersonal force. And two, the Holy Spirit is 
God. Two things. The Holy Spirit is a person, and the Holy Spirit is God. So let's, let's look at uh, John chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses uh, 15 through 17 real quick like. Ready? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it, is ne it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Let me read that again. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is a person. Here Jesus calls him another helper. When Jesus calls him another helper, a counselor or comforter, he treats him as a person, not as a force. So that one of the first things that we have got to change even in our terminology is calling the Holy Spirit it. Send it. I, I've heard people in their prayers and they're talking about the Holy Spirit as it. Like it's this thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. And Jesus refers to him as a person, another helper who will come to you. And he will be with you. He will even be in you. And he'll be with you for how long? Forever. And here he, he talks about, uh, it's not just when he says, it, says it's uh, another helper. He means it's another one like me. The Greek there is alos. One who is like. Not of a different type, but of the same type. There's another Greek word, uh, and we, we, we use it. It's a common kind of uh, heteros. The same of a different type. He uses alos. The same of the same type. So he is sending another helper. A helper like me. Who is me? Like me. You know, it's, it's not another kind of weird thing that I'm going to send you. May the force be with you. It is, I am sending you a helper just like me. Exactly like me. And he is going to be dwelling with you, in you, and he's going to be with you forever. And so as Jesus was a person, he put on flesh and he walked around and dwelled among us. So is the Holy Spirit. He is another helper, just like Jesus. As Jesus walked around and did his ministry, so does the Holy Spirit dwell in us, walk with us, in us, forever. The Holy Spirit is a person. On top of that, 
Another reason that he's not just this impersonal, strange force. In verse 17, he says that you will, what? Know him. You will know him. Now, if you've read John, the Gospel of John, John has this, he loves to play with words. And sometimes words take on double meaning. If you're an English person, a double entendre, how many people know what that means? A double entendre? It's kind of this one meaning, but also behind that meaning is another meaning. And John loves to play with words. And so he says, listen, you are going to know him. Well, for us, you know, it's like, okay, like pick up a book, you read through a book, and you go, okay, I got that. I've got it memorized, I've got all these things down. But he goes, oh, no, no, no. You are going to know him. There's the Greek, the gnoskos, the you have knowledge of him. Like you read a book that you are familiar with your settings and you know the fire exits and you know your safety exits and all that kind of stuff. You're going to know that. Yes, that is true. You are going to know for fact. But there's also this other kind of knowledge that, um, that John loves to play with. Look at, here, here's Genesis 4. I'll throw it up here. Now, Adam knew his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain. Okay, what kind of knowledge is, is Genesis 4-1 talking about? Hey, I know where the safety exits are, out of bed, you know. No, it's more the, I know you. In a personal, deep, relational kind of way. Because the, the effect is what? Fruit. Cain. Adam knew Eve as a husband knows his wife. Not just, okay, I know her favorite food. She likes chocolate. Right, John? Chocolate. You know, John knows Leah likes chocolate. Well, that's kind of a factual thing. But this is a, this is a deep, personal, different knowledge. It goes on to Jeremiah when God called uh, Jeremiah to be a prophet. He said this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God knew him. Relationally knew him. Not just the facts that Jeremiah is going to show up on this, uh, on the timeline of history right here. He's going to do these activities. God knew him. And so in this same way, Jesus says, you will know him. Yes, by knowledge. Yes, by relationship. So the Holy Spirit is not just this impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person that we know. And in the relational context, it requires all of us. To work at coming to know the Holy Spirit relationally. It doesn't just happen. Small groups, people think, man, I, I joined a small group, I should automatically be loved and accepted and warm and welcome and fuzzy and la da la, get all this kind of stuff coming to me. It doesn't happen unless what? 
you work at it. Doesn't it? It it takes, thank you, it takes work to come to know Brandon Jacobson, to get to know Ryan, to get to know Matt, Molly, Abby, to get to know people. It requires what? Time. It requires pursuit. It requires us to be in the lives. It's not just one of these, oh, I joined and therefore I have. Really? Does that work in your day-to-day life? Does that work in our small groups? Absolutely not. If you want deep community, it requires us all to be working hard together to get to know. And the same is true with the person of the Holy Spirit. It requires us to pursue, to know, to pray to, to love, to chase after, to get to study and go, Oh, Spirit, what do you do in my life? How do I respond to you? As you respond to me, I need to come to know you greater. Would you fill me more with that loving relationship? Come on. Because here's the beautiful thing, and it just adds on in the depth and complexity and beauty of it. We see in 14, verse 16 and 17, that the Holy Spirit takes up residence. He has an address. In, in verse 16, it says that he will be with you. And how long will he be with us? Forever. Additionally, it says that in verse 17, that he will dwell with you. And, and the Greek there is para, to be beside, alongside you. Verse 17, a little further, it says in the next phrase, He will be in you. Literally. He has, the person of the Holy Spirit takes up residence with you and inside of you. And that will be forever. So think about that. The complexity and the beauty of that. The person of the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And beside you, walks with you in our day-to-day life. But yet we as a church, and this is just an overarching statement that may be not true for everyone. But we as a church do not know the one who dwells within us or alongside us. And who promises to be with us for the long haul until eternity. It's like a stranger in our own house. And we wonder, you know, Acts 2 has this this picture of Pentecost, of just the power of the Holy Spirit coming and filling and lives being changed. And these people, what happens in that, that early church context is powerful. And we go today, I wonder why not much is happening. There's this prayer by J.C. Ryle. And he says this, and it's so true. Pray daily for a great outpouring of the Spirit on the church and on the world. This is the grand need of the day. It is the thing that we need far more than money, machinery, and men. The company of preachers in Christendom is far greater than it was in the days of Paul. Do we agree with that? There are far more preachers, pastors, churches, ministries, parachurch ministries, camps, than there were ever in the days of Paul. But the actual spiritual work done in the earth 
in proportion to the means used, is undoubtedly far less. We need more the presence of the Holy Spirit. More in the pulpit, more in the congregation, more in the pastoral visit, and more in the school. Where He is, there is life, health, growth, and fruitfulness. Where He is not, all will be dead, tame, formal, sleepy. Anyone sleeping? And cold. It's not like Camp Manitoba. It should be chilly in here, but cold-hearted. Then let everyone who desires to see an increase of pure and undefiled religion pray daily for more the presence of the Holy Spirit in every branch of the visible church of Christ. You want to know, Manitoba staff, why you might not see revival and change in children's hearts and lives? Are you not aware of the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you and beside you, who desires to see the redemption of this world, to see completeness and wholeness? Come to know the Spirit of God. God's empowering presence. On top of that, another way that we know the Holy Spirit is a person, is the Holy Spirit not, is not, uh, not only is described as a voice of God's teaching, but He is a teacher in His own right. Look at 4 verse 26. We'll go to 425 and we'll read through 426. Sorry, not 4, 14. Sorry, my fault, my fault. A little too fast. Getting a little excited, a little spirit moving. Going. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He will teach you. The Spirit will teach you. And He will help you remember all things. And I wonder, as I... And this is just me extrapolating. I wonder if the more that we come to know the Holy Spirit, and as we read Scripture, does our memory of Scripture increase? Just a question. But if the Spirit teaches us all things and helps us remember all things and points to Jesus Christ, as we come to know the Spirit more and more and our lives are more full of the Spirit and He teaches us, will our memory of Scripture and in those difficult circumstances where we say, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to evangelize. Allow the Spirit to teach you and remind you of all things. It goes on to say... Turn the page, 15, uh, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, okay, you get that again, Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will do what? He will bear witness about me. 
and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So there's this idea that as the Spirit bears witness, testifies in our life about the trueness of the gospel and the beauty of the gospel, the power of the gospel, what are we going to do? We also are going to bear witness to the world. We're going to also tear, uh, testify to Jesus and his love and the power that he, you know what? He has taken me from the grave. He has made a drunk man whole again. He has taken my broken, perverse life and he has changed me from the inside out. And the spirit testifies that it is all God. It's not me. Apart from a work of God, I am still dead. But you know what? I am whole. And let me tell you some scripture. Because I've got, I got more and more and more. Because he has taught me. And he's pointing me again towards Jesus. This is just a really great circle. I love this stuff. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 16 verses uh, in 13. 16 verses 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So the spirit also guides us. He directs us into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears from the Father and the Son, he will speak. So the Spirit, again, that's kind of a a person thing, huh? Where he will speak to us, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Fourteen, he will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is powerful stuff. This is God dwelling in his people, which leads us to the second thing that God, the Holy Spirit, is God. The Holy Spirit is God. When you add the second truth to the first truth, it makes the first far more precious. When we say, Holy Spirit is a person. Okay, got it. Holy Spirit is God as a person. And He is dwelling in me and with me. No wonder the Apostle Paul had such vim and vigor and, when he, and he could take the beatings and the stoning and all those things. He was shipwrecked. He was lashed. He was beaten. His back was torn to pieces. He traveled all over the world. He said, now listen, I, I don't need a wife. I've got the mission of God. I'm just going to go forward. I'm going to travel all over the world in Asia and Asia Minor. I'm going to go to the ends of the earth. And finally, I'm going to get, go to Rome and have my head chopped off, all for the glory of Christ. Because I know Christ is in me through the work of the power and the power of the Holy Spirit. I know the gospel is true. And therefore, I'm going to live in such a way that I can show that it is true. The person who indwells and leads and purifies is no one less than God, the Holy Spirit. And here's the beautiful thing. As we look over the whole course of Scripture. We see it happening. Where God, as Father, what does He do? He dwells with His people first in a tent, the tabernacle. He tabernacles 
in a place. The, the temple, if you, if you read, um, I, I think it's 1 Samuel, no, 1 Chronicles, where it talks about uh, God's presence coming into Solomon's temple, and that all that took place because God was dwelling among them in a building. God dwelt among them as a person in a facility. Uh, But then we see in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. And then it talked about how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God put on flesh and dwelt among us. Do you see this progression from God dwelling in a, in a temple made with hands and stone and gilded with this and that to God putting on flesh so he can identify with you and me? And then the powerful thing at Pentecost, Jesus, Jesus promised before he left I am going to send one greater than me. You're going to do amazing things. Because why? He is dwelling in you. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. People of God, God excites me. God dwells in us. And that just has radical implications for our life and our ministry. When we feel inadequate, when we feel shame, when we feel defeated and discouraged, feel exhausted, We need to remind ourselves that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, the person of the Holy Spirit, God dwells in us and walks alongside us. He empowers us. He encourages us. When we are weak and we can no longer do it, He says, ah, it's my strength that makes you strong. When we don't know what to say to a lost friend, an atheist, an agnostic, a, a, somebody who doesn't even know Jesus or that they're without Jesus, the implications for ministry are tremendous. Of sharing the gospel is, Spirit, I know that I need to talk to this person. I don't know what to say. And the Spirit says, you know what? It's not about you in the first place. Allow me to teach and guide you. Trust more fully in me and the wisdom that I have because it comes from a true source, from Christ and from the Father. And I will teach you and guide you. Now go. Quit willy-nillying around. Quit pussyfooting around the topic. Be true. God is with us. It is critical before we go on any further in this series that we understand this 
God is with us. Richard Sibbs said this. Throw it up there on the one good screen left. And this is my prayer for Missio Dei Church. Let us lay ourselves open to the Spirit's touch. Read this slowly to yourself. When the Spirit has ruling sway in our lives, He fine-tunes our soul, much like a musical instrument. And then what? He plays our lives as a piano concerto before God. If you're in a traditional church, you know what an offertory is? That kind of funky, awkward music sometimes they play during, as the plates are being passed. This is a different kind. This is an offertory. I am laying my life out. Spirit, fine-tune me. I submit myself to you. Fully, I submit my life to you. Fine-tune me. And you know what? Honestly, there is probably some major work that you've got to do. And if we're all honest, we all have major work. Pride, greed, uh, lust, anger, jealousy, you know, fits of childishness that we all have if we're really honest. Spirit, I'm going to lay myself out to you. Have your way with me. Fine-tune my life. And would you play a piano concerto with, to God with my life? Something that is honoring. Kind of does something different to uh, Romans 12. Anybody know Romans 12 off the top of your head? What does it say? Off, what is it? I'm sure you didn't all get that because they're not, they don't have, they're not mics. Romans. Turn to it, everybody. Look. Go. And then we're going to pray, and then we're going to do communion, and then we're going to worship God in three persons. Romans 12. I, oh wait, I'll wait. 947. This is, this is big stuff. I appeal. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. He's saying, listen, give it all. Here's your life laid out in spiritual worship. And let's, we see the Spirit dwelling among us, and we say, Spirit, take my life. Conform it to the gospel. May I live in line with the gospel. Teach me, guide me, convict me. If you, if you need some good devotions about what does the Spirit do this week, look at a 16, John 16, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. What will the Spirit do if we, we submit and say, fine-tune me? 
because I want to I be a living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to you. Take my life and let it be. Let's pray. God, I pray that these are not just uh, words, of, and words that conjure up emotion that is uh, short-lived. God, I pray that we as a church, the people of God, those who are redeemed, understand the knowledge that you are God and you are a person, Holy Spirit. But may we take it beyond that to where we pursue you and know you in a personal, relational, deep, intimate, scary kind of way. And God, as we come to know you in both of those ways, and as you reveal in our lives the areas that need to be put to death, yeah, may we accept that as a gift from you. May we be holy and pleasing to you. May our lives be a spiritual act of worship that brings glory to you, that allows the glory of God to be spread out to the ends of the earth. God, I just even pray now, Lord, that you give us a heart for global and local missions in a way that has never taken place in our church. Lord, that as your spirit dwells in us in more full and rich and personal ways, Lord, that our eyes and our hearts and our ears are open. And Lord, that we rely on you to do your work in this world. God, we confess. We confess that we don't know you as we should. Even those of us who think we do, God, by no means have we ever attained full knowledge of God. So we confess. We confess that we don't know you as we should. Spirit of truth, fill us. We confess there's often little room in our, our lives for you. So we confess right now, Lord, those sins that bar your work in our lives and in this world, our greed, our fear, our lust, our thoughts of inadequacy, our shame, self-righteousness. Our spiritual rightness. God, I pray for this this body. Lord, as we discover you in rich and intimate ways, Lord, would you have your way with us? Lord, would it increase our prayer life? Would it increase our desire to know 
each other as we are knowing you. May we be a church that is done with casting stones. May we be a church that has a heart, such a heart for the gospel, God, that it, it moves us geographically into places that we would never go unless you go with us. That it would take us into conversations that we would never have because it scares the living daylights out of us unless you go with us. God, would you move us into mission? And God, have mercy on us when you don't. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for praying to the Father to send the Spirit of truth so that he may dwell within us, dwell beside us forever. Thank you that it's not just a promise, but it's a reality. Thank you also that you have made us one. makes us one. God, may our lives be a pleasing sacrifice to you. I pray this in Jesus' name.